Welcome to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show. This is Citizen Science Show. Hello, welcome back to Citizen Science. Today we're chatting with Ryan Pereira. Ryan runs the Irikunji Centre at Port Stephens. And for those of you who don't know, Irikunji are a small but extremely venomous jellyfish. But Ryan's fascination extends beyond just these little wonders into sharks and stingrays now as well. So let's hear from him. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. So yourself and your partner, Leah, were involved in starting the Irikunji Centre. Can you give us a little bit of background about how you got involved? Yeah, um, been pretty fortunate in our lives to follow a passion and a dream. Uh, started off as a, believe it or not, as a maintenance person within the facility many years ago. And uh, about 2014, we were offered to buy the facility. It was started off as more of a, uh, the previous owner was more, I guess, of a tourism venture. And for us, it was more about conservation. We wanted to build something that was going to help and change people's mindsets about the sea and also do things. So we've been involved in millions of cleanups and helping with rescuing animals. And uh, the goal of this place is to hopefully one day have sharks and rays have the same uh I guess standing as dolphins and turtles in the world in the way that we love and appreciate them rather than fear them and be worried about them. So, I mean, you know, there's a huge variety of sea creatures out there. You guys are more focused on rays and sharks these days. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. The ones that, uh, I guess, the ones that we don't understand so much. Fantastic. I believe you were originally in one location, but in 2021, you moved to another location in Port Stephens. Why Why did you move? That's correct. Well, two reasons. One, our lease was finishing up and we needed to buy the land to invest the capital to make the difference in the facility. So build the purpose-built hospital, um, build the purpose-built tanks and get the animals into Homes, we believe, suits them and their natural environments. So give them nature back. On top of that, also connect people greater to them through their natural habitats and to try to show people where they actually live. Where did you move to? Was it very far away? It wasn't five minutes down the road, which is a nice short trip for the animals. <laughs> so, well, this has sort of been answered already, but I imagine that the new facility is a lot better is that right it is so we've managed to increase the size of the aquarium by 137 percent on the old one at the same time sort of tailor the environments more into the uh, shark and raise requirements of being able to allow them to thermoregulate they have access to sunshine now um, so the improvements on them have been absolutely amazing and to watch their, their metabolic rates return to what we would call closer to what we're trying to research and understand and steps like that. It's also given us the opportunity to build a purpose-built hospital section within the facility. So, you know, we've got that side happening and slowly chunking in it day by day because we're only a small family business step by step 
trying to involve more people, different minds and ideas, which is incredible. A hospital, that sounds interesting. Like I'm, I'm sort of seeing beds and lots of nurses. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> so we found over the years, it started off with mainly reptiles, uh, turtles. There was sort of a hole here in Port Stevens between here in Taronga and uh, Upper Ballina. And yeah, and sometimes it was a bit of a logistical nightmare to get animals down to Taronga, the hospital there, or logistical nightmare to go north. So what we thought is we'd start helping out. So we started talking to the guys at Taronga and Ballina and going to turtle symposiums and learning about that. Of course, before that, we always did sharks and rays. Never got phone calls back then, but it has changed a lot over the years. Um, Certainly in the last two years, phone calls are certainly coming our way of injured stingrays and sharks on the beach, which is amazing to sort of start to see. Um, and that's only going to get more and more and more as people appreciate as much as we do. Yeah. Which has been crazy and fun and exciting. So within the hospital, it's got three facilities. One is there, like, I guess, the intensive care ward or where we start our journey. So that's where I assess each one and make, make the best call forward. From there, we go into rehab. So we spend our time getting better, getting food, getting fat again. Uh, we run, operate tanks, not on public display that the animals can relax and get better. After that, they share a community tank where they learn to fend off for themselves again and, and do all the natural things. And once they've built up a lot of strength fighting for their food, they are then passed off by vets to go back into the ocean. Sounds a bit like wires for the ocean. I mean, if I find an injured possum on a road, I'll, I'll give wires a call and they'll come to the rescue or I'll, I'll take it to a, a wires a vet. Are you part of that network? Yeah, we work with everyone. We work with WIRES, we're members of WIRES, uh, members of NATF, all those amazing organizations to help out where we can. I'm just curious, did the change to the new location actually increase the patronage dramatically, seeing as you're now more visible along the main road? I mean, has it increased business for you? Yeah, it certainly has. Even with uh, all the chaos and pandemonium on the planet at the moment, it, it definitely has increased being on the main road. We're so hidden away in a little cul-de-sac before, and now being on the main road, people go like, oh, that looks interesting, and pop in and in. So, yes, we're getting a, definitely a lot more visitors through. Great. And do you get any government funding to help you with it? Um, we've had assistance in terms of the COVID um, for the animal side of things, which have been amazing. Um, in terms of the business side of things, just like everyone else, we've got to battle on and, and survive. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've had, we've had some assistance and we do apply for grants. Um, and there are some grants out there. Um, love to see more on the research side of things. Um, right now, that's more funded by zoos and aquariums and things like that in terms of just animal behaviors and stuff. It would be really cool to see some government programs that work more with that. And you're starting to see a few like the Great White Monitoring Program and things like that. Um, but it would be cool to see some where it, uh, it gives us more greater understanding of these animals in terms of even just dietary requirements and things like that or what they need or how they survive in the wild so we don't hurt their food resources and, and keep those populations and ecology stable. Because uh, today, uh, there's very little out there. There's a lot, but very little compared to a lot of other things. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can imagine. So is it true that you don't have any Irukandji jellyfish at the moment? Yeah, yeah. So we always chose the name on the basis to talk to kids about the changing sea. Um, if you go back to the Precambrian time, you would be swimming in an ocean full of jellyfish. And if we take away sharks, whales, dolphins, turtles, and replace them with plastic bags, we'll get jellyfish. <laughs> so we, we talk to kids about that, that connection and, and talk to them about that particular venomous creature because they can understand it, remember it, and they go, oh, maybe I don't really want these guys. I want to look after these guys, and uh, I want to connect with these guys. Because um, I always say to them, no fun swimming in an ocean full of jellyfish and having jellyfish and chips for lunch. That rehab sounds amazing. And there's one particular endangered species I believe you guys are doing a lot for. That's this spotted Indonesian shark. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? That sounds like it's in the, in pretty dire straits at the moment. So there's a leopard whiptail ray, and then we've also got the um, zebra shark, which is the Star Alliance program. So we're hoping um, to be, um, well, we're going to be part of that where they've sent us some sharks and our, baby, our sharks will lay eggs, and those eggs will be exported to Indonesia for hatching. It's a really cool program. If anyone wants to have a really good read of it, it's called the Star Alliance Program, which is named after the zebra shark. A lot of people call them leopard sharks, but that's a lie. Um, they look like a leopard. They start off looking like a zebra. Uh, in America and a few other places in the world, there's a little spotty shark that was already called a leopard shark. So it gets a bit confusing when you Google online leopard shark and you start seeing this little spotty cat shark buzzing around the screen instead of a spotty yellow shark. <laughs> Well, I just called it a spotted shark, so that was way off the mark, yeah. Yeah, that's all, that's all good. And the Star Alliance program, though, it's called. It's amazing to be formed part of. Uh, each individual they ha have, are using for it have all had genetic uh, identification done on them. So when the breeding program does commence, we get ge genetic variation. Um, it's quite a serious project to get quite a good population back into the Indonesian waters again and northern waters of Australia too. Um, sadly, they're quite harvested for their flesh and their skin and their fins and they, they're seeing a huge hit over the years. And I believe it's a pretty big decimation of that population at the moment. Yeah, and they're very placid shark, a benthic shark, a bottom dweller, uh, easily targeted too. Any idea what the numbers are like in the wild at the moment? I mean, is anybody measuring the population? In Australia's waters, there's not a lot of data. Um, if you hop on, you'll see it's, it's a lot of unknowns. Uh, up north, uh, catch tonnage just dropped down to, I think, about 300 kilos or 350, I think, was the last number every six months, which they used to be at, like, you know, 100 tons. <laughs> so that's sort of the scary outliers that they're seeing up there. Um, this couple, that's generally how we sort of, Sadly, these days get the numbers of fish is the, the, how they're catching them and the tonnage and things like that. One day it'll be done more on study, but of course there's a lot of uh, mitigating factors against that. Uh, there's no borders in the ocean. Sharks and rays and fish can sort of travel willy-nilly. So to manage and sort of keep numbers under wrap is, is quite hard because uh, of their migration patterns, their movements, to how long do they stay in areas, that, that research is pretty poor. 
although Benthics are, I mean, zebra sharks are Benthics and they do stay predominantly within an area. They have been known to migrate for breeding and things like that. Uh, so there's still a lot more work out there. So marine biologists and people who just want to go stick a whole lot of GoPros in the ocean to go watch what's going on would be an awesome start, I guess, uh, rather than just relying on fishermen tonnage and bycatch. Uh, a thing I find funny is uh, there's not a lot of laws out there for, for fishermen. Uh, if you catch a shark, you call it a shark, not what species it is. If you catch a stingray, it's a ray. It's not what species it is. If you do report an endangered species, you're likely to get in trouble. So are you going to report it? Um, so those are sort of things that would be really cool to sort of see Fishermen probably get rewarded for giving results. Um, you know, hey, this is what I caught, this is what I caught, and getting a reward, reward rather than getting in trouble. So we can sort of look at management processes and things like that where we can help the animal by going, hey, this is this fishing method. Maybe if we change the net design this way, we can mitigate bycatch or we can mitigate catch or we can actually impose catch numbers or things like that. Of course, other countries, it's hard to get them sometimes to, to follow what you're doing because um, poverty lines are different everywhere. Um, but I guess if someone starts somewhere, that's a good start. Well, it's good to hear you making that start. Um, I believe you're going on TV with Dr. Harry. Yeah, we're very fortunate to have better homes and gardens out uh, and had Dr. Harry come visit our beautiful sharks and rays. And uh Come visit also Sea Shouter, our little non-for-profit that we do the cleanups with and things like that. Uh, it was very fun. <laughs> so I'm not too sure on the date yet. They haven't told us, but I'm pretty sure it's very, very soon. That's great. That should give the cause and your business some real exposure. It seems to me that what's required is a bit of an attitude change. I mean, if we look at the plant kingdom and uh, the change towards or the change of attitude towards weeds like weeds are no longer thought of as just rubbish that can be gotten rid of they're, they're quite essential and they're plants and they have categories uh it's a similar thing by the sounds of it when i hear you talk uh the attitude towards sharks and rays like they're just rubbish that can be or pests almost that can be discarded so it's an attitude change that's required it is, yeah. So, like, uh, like we, you know, not so long ago, didn't believe many animals felt pain. We sort of still view that on fish. Um, you know, working with them, you realize how intelligent and smart they are and how much we don't understand. Um, you know, like the recent research they were doing with manta rays in aquariums where they would put mirrors up in the aquarium and manta rays would swim up to the mirror and actually view it as themselves. They would lift their wings up to check themselves out, look for injuries, blow bubbles, watch the bubbles go to the top. So they were self-identifying through the mirror, which not a lot of animals do. Uh, which is interesting and you know that's just a fish is what we say but <laughs> they're not they're a little bit more than just a fish um the intricate network of, a, of the ocean you know how noise is the biggest response when you see a great barrier reef grow if you don't have the little crustaceans on the reef you tend to see reefs not exploding and growing because they're there calling the animals in doing the different chimes and notes which i found fascinating research done recently um so little things like that are sort of changing our views of fish 
and sort of you know taking them to a different level i believe slowly but surely yeah definitely you mentioned earlier that it it's, it can all be done by scientists but it's relying on the regular folk which is what we're about with citizen science um you know using gopros that's a, a typical citizen science tool um with in this case if it has the underwater housing then it's 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 quite effective but where can where can they go to report is there a, a website where people can post you know their findings out there there um there are a few websites out there um to report numbers um I was just trying to think when you were saying that, you know, which would be the best one. And I actually can't think of one that everyone's using together. So it would be actually amazing to develop something like that, where we can all, even if it's just app-based, where we can all just upload spottings and sightings and movements of different animals um, that aren't on the, the bigger ones, like the dolphins and the turtles. But um you know, if, to start with, a great place would be doing to, to start off with something like that. Um, in our local area, reporting to dive shops, you know, seeing this there and there and there. So when people go diving, they can also see the animals in the wild and get those greater connections. Um, yeah, I don't know of a, a place. I haven't heard of or, or, or know of a place that we can all collaborate together like that. But it would be amazing to develop one. Well, we'll have to push for the development of that app so that uh, people can have somewhere to collaborate and report. I was just thinking as you were speaking with all the volunteers and employees uh, that work for the centre, are they generally coming from a science background? Are they studying science or are they just enthusiasts, so to speak? We have sort of everyone involved, which is amazing. So we have zoologists, marine biologists, uh, uh, zookeepers, um, people studying vet nursing, uh, teachers, um, uh, you know, just a random mix of people um, in the volunteer area. We're happy to get anyone involved. We have people that are just studying business, people that are retired, people that are, are looking for things to do that are to help marine life or life in general. Um, so yeah, we have mix and match. So you don't really need qualifications to help with the rehab, release, rescue of them. We, we teach you or any organization like Wink would teach you how to do it so you can assist. And um, what's great about the rescue side of things, anyone that is rescued or any species is uploaded onto National Parks database. They're keeping records of it to mitigate management strategies, which is incredible, particularly in the marine sea turtle world. Um, as as pressures hit harder and harder there every year, they're, they're sort of looking at what pressures are there and what can we do to alleviate them. Uh, for example, when COVID sort of hit, hit us for the first time, and people were only allowed to do certain activities. We sort of noticed uh, increase in fishing line incidents with fishing line around flippers and heads and swallowed hooks and things like that. So looking at, you know, what kind of types of fishing line or do we change the areas where we fish? Are we fishing too close to turtle eating grounds or because uh, in Australia, no one really, especially now I'm estuary, people don't really want to catch uh, green sea turtles or accidentally. Um, 
the great thing they did do in Port Stephens is they have changed the crab pot design through fisheries. So they actually banned what's called a witch's hat. I don't know if you know that no. style of fishing. It's essentially a round ring with a net with a boy and the food is placed inside and the little crabs crawl inside. Sadly, down. turtles get underneath it too and they get drowned. Mm. And crab pots, if the opening's too big, they can squeeze through and get jammed in there. Um, again, can't get up to the surface and breathe. So they may manage to mitigate through those kind of rescues and, and necropsies of dead ones. We were able to mitigate that sort of change, um, which is amazing. So. Everyone's looking for more. There's some really cool ideas from the guys at SeaWorld up north. They want to create an app called Tag a Snag. So every time you're fishing, if you hook up, you can just tag where you hooked up. So us as divers can just go get rid of the fishing line um, or someone someone can head down there and at least make a difference for that. Uh, we clean the break wall every year and we pull tons and tons of fishing line off it every year. Well, I'm pretty sure if we didn't, it would just get worse and worse and worse and worse. <laughs> Yes, definitely, definitely. Thankfully, folks like yourself are out there making making the difference. I just wanted to raise an important point, which can be a little grim, and that's the issue of a sense of hopelessness around everything that's going on in our environment. Not only global warming, but the decimation of species, species getting close to extinction. Some, some are already extinct. I think the numbers in Australia are pretty horrendous and I know we want to remain positive but we don't want to sort of gloss over all of that it's dire and we've got to be factual with how bad it is but at the same time there has to be hope otherwise people like you wouldn't be doing what you're doing there's got to be hope right so I just wonder if you can comment on that issue of hope and hopelessness whether there's despair or when there's despair about how bad things get, you know, maybe you can tell us about what you guys are doing and what everyone else is doing to improve the situation. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it is. It's tough and certain, crazy. Um, certainly, the world is is in a very strange place. Um, for me I, and my wife and all the volunteers, um, we all protect what we love, and uh, we all love the environment and. Uh, you know, every little tiny bit is like a ripple um, in what we do. So, example, if we, you know, watch the electricity we use, we're making a, a change, just a simple, you know, just a little thing of just turning a light off is a big change in the world. If everyone did that, it's a massive change. So for, for marine life, um, when we head down to the beach, we clean, we... Um, we we help we talk to people about recycling and all those incredible things and just those little things can make a huge change although it looks huge at the moment i believe you know if all of us start and we see it in the kids we get through the aquarium with the sharks and rays so they get to meet them and the fear that they start with and the fear they don't have by the time they leave is just an incredible thing to watch so an animal that they were fearful of, maybe not wanting to look after at the end going, oh my gosh, I got to do everything I can. Like when I go to order fish and chips, not ordering flake, a simple choice like that can change consumer behavior. And then we can change the guys, uh, the market behavior and get them to do more sustainable fishing and looking at different techniques or, or changing the way we interact with our environment. So I guess we're more connected with it. 
um, the environment is changed. And I think that's what the whole word means. So, and we're changed too, but, um, you know, obviously we want to protect what we love and that change and, and, and not have animals going extinct and things like that. I don't think we all understand it, but I think if we do what we think is right in terms of looking at data and numbers and all those incredible things, we can, we can make the best decision forward altogether. Um, and that's sort of what I look at as. Um, Leah does certainly too. <laughs> right. That's fantastic. Well, that leads me just to inquire as to what's next for you and Leah. Um, what are the plans for the future? Any, anything interesting looming on the horizon? Give us a little scoop on what's, uh, what's coming up. <laughs> well, for, for us, and certainly this next year, is um, to get our, our, our next phase operating with this, this uh, Alliance program, the zebra shark breeding um, within this aquarium. Um, we have big plans to um, have a look at uh, local areas and habitats and start doing some volunteer and citizen science and monitoring local rock pools just to see the little changes in a little rock pool. You can also give us an indication on local habitat health, you know, whether we're seeing different various species of algae growing because of nutrient loadings that we're putting on the ocean or, or look at um, little things like our mangrove and our our seagrass beds here in Port Stevens, just having a look how they're growing since the big storms and the big flood events. And are they taking these big weather weather events or should we look at putting barriers in for, for seagrass so we can start protecting those little habitats as nurseries so we can still have our fish populations, not only for us to watch, but for fishermen to catch and for, for everyone to enjoy. So that's sort of what we're looking forward to. Um, phase two is certainly going to take a big chunk of our year out. It's, um, it's another million litres to our tiny 1.2 million litre aquarium. So it's doubling size. Things are going to get a bit chaotic <laughs> for a little while there. But after that, yeah, certainly much more, um, much more into Seashell and the volunteer with the volunteers pushing forward to doing more help and more data and hopefully never having to rescue another animal again, moving to the point where we, we go to freedom. <laughs> wow, wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, beautiful world. Well, thank you so much for your time, Ryan. Um, we really appreciate you coming and speaking to us about your experience uh, with the Irukandji Centre, yourself and your partner, Leah, all the great work you're doing. Um, I know you're busy, so uh, thanks again for contributing to the show. Thank you too, hey. It was real awesome to chat to you. You've been listening to Citizen Science Show. You've been listening to Citizen 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 Science Citizen Science Show.